just going to read to you before Andy comes to speak to us this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to God's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you. See to it that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test your sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich." And 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Let's pray together as Andy comes to speak to us. Let's pray for Andy. Lord God, we thank you for your word to us this morning through those words in Corinthians, Lord. And we pray for Andy, Lord, this morning. We thank you for him, and we ask that you'll bless him and anointed by your Holy Spirit, Lord, as he comes to speak to us this morning. We pray we'll have open hearts to hear what you're saying to us, Lord, that you'll teach us more about your generosity, Lord, and to be more generous to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. It's wonderful to see everyone here, and uh, if you're visiting back, or if you're here for the first time, we hope you'll be back again. Uh, I met one or two of you beforehand. It's lovely to be together. And uh, there was a guy who walked into a church one day um, to try prayer and see what would happen, and uh, he walks in and starts pondering the big questions of life, and so says to God, he says, okay, what, 10 million years, what, what is 10 million years like to you, God? And much to his surprise, he gets an answer back. A voice speaks and says, 10 million years, well, it, to me, it's, it's just like a second is to you. So he thinks some more and, and he prays again. He said, okay, so, so 10 million pounds. What's 10 million pounds like to you, God? And again, a voice comes back and says, well, 10 million pounds to me is like, well, it's like a penny is to you. He goes, wow. And then he says, uh, could I have one of your pennies? <laughs> and a voice comes back and says, well, yes, yes, just give me a second. <clears throat> Okay. It still surprises me when I read the New Testament how much Jesus talks about money. Um, of the nearly 40 parables that are in there, some 16 refer to money or wealth of some sort in some ways. We have the pearl of great price, uh, we have the lost coins, we have the silver talents. Uh, some of them touch on wealth, so the prodigal son, we hear about squandering his inheritance. We read about Lazarus and the rich man. We read about the workers in the vineyard and how you know, God's generosity gives each one of them, depending 
regardless of how much work they've done. Jesus teaches about money when he sees the woman with the two mites, the last two coins that she has, putting it into the offering. He takes it and makes it a teaching point for people in generosity. He talks about paying taxes back to Caesar. He, the rich young man he speaks to, and Zacchaeus, he, he has lunch with him. And uh, as a result of that, Zacchaeus gives back to the poor and he makes restitution for any swindling that he's done through his life. There's so much in there. His famous headline quotes uh, such as, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, you cannot serve both God and money or materialism um, that is in there. We, we, don't, we don't see money in the way that God sees money or in the way that Jesus sees money. We need a completely different perspective on all of this. We need a paradigm shift in our heads. And a paradigm shift is where the underlying assumptions that we make are radically changed. So, for example, when everyone or some people thought the world was flat... Okay, it affected how you went sailing because you might, if you went too far, fall off the edge of the earth. However, once you realize the earth isn't flat and if you carry on around, you eventually come back to where you, you started, then that changes your behavior. But it's a different way of thinking. And the New Testament gives us a very different perspective on money. It gives us uh, a sense of different generosity with money and it talks about a whole new currency altogether. So firstly, I want to look at a new perspective. I want to take us back into Luke 16, uh, which we didn't read, the parable of the shrewd manager. And in there, there are three parallel lines um, that help us understand this whole new perspective. Um, The first line is verse 10, where it says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. That's quite profound in itself. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. But the next line is to be read in parallel with it. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And then the third parallel line, verse 12, if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Now normally we don't notice easily this pattern because often in our Bibles it's a bit higgledy-piggledy. We don't see them written out in long kind of straight lines like this. But everything on the left is related and everything on the right is related. And uh, the first perspective is that there is worldly wealth and there are true riches. Okay, worldly wealth is about the money we have in this world, but actually true riches is about the age to come. And the first big change that we need to understand is that it's not just about this world. There is an age to come. There are true riches ahead in heaven. But worldly wealth in this age is both very little compared to true riches, and is someone else's property. And true riches in the age to come is much and property of your own. There is a staggering perspective um, in this. The left-hand side, worldly wealth, the money that you get in this life, compared to true riches, is very, very little. And the illustration I love to use is you imagine you're going for a Sunday carvery and you get this, okay? You get a bean, okay? One plate, one bean. Now, if you're like me, that would be very little. I'd be disappointed if that was my Sunday carvery, and uh, that's all I get. But Jesus implies that worldly wealth, in comparison to true riches, is a little bit like that. Now, some of you might only have half a bean. I appreciate that. Some of you may be doing really well. You've got two beans. But the reality is, however you see it, in God's economy, it is very little. Um, Perhaps even more stunning is we read in verse 12 that this worldly wealth is someone else's property. Right, that is outrageous. You know, I was, I was convinced that this, this was mine. You know, okay, it might only be a bean, but at least it was my bean. But apparently it's not even my bean. Okay, it's someone else's. 
Actually, it's God's. And he's given me this being to find out, will I be trustworthy with it? Will I use it wisely in this world or will I just use it for myself? Because depending on how I use it, he will trust me with things in the age to come, is what he says. So we're not, we're not owners of it, we're just trustees of it. And if someone sets up a trust, usually it has a good purpose. So it might be to eradicate disease or it might be to help you know, the underprivileged to get into education. And if you're a trustee on that, you want to know what was the trust set up for and how should that money be spent. You don't get to choose, you get to just work it out. And so it is with our, our worldly wealth. God says, actually, it's not ours, it's his. And therefore, we need to understand what are his priorities, what are his purposes, um, and what are his goals? How does he want it to be spent, and how should we do that? And so this verse, these verses, gives us a completely different perspective on our money, on our worldly wealth. And uh, there are two completely different uh, mentalities that we can have. We can have a scarcity mentality that says there's not enough to go around, or we can have the opposite, which is a, a generosity mentality uh, with our lives. Now, the scarcity mentality says, I've only got one bean. Okay, I've only got one bean, so I've got to guard the bean. Okay, keep the bean. You know, make sure I don't lose my sight. I don't want to lose sight of the bean, protect the bean, don't damage the bean, hide the bean, protect the bean at all costs. This is my bean, I've only got one bean. Okay? Whereas the generosity mentality says, it's only a bean. It's only a bean, man. Have the bean. You know? Take a risk with the bean. You never know, you might get a beanstalk. Um, you know, this bean is pretty useless in my pocket. Let's, let's put it to use. Let's turn this bean into a blessing. And have the bean, because to be honest, I've got Sunday roast coming in a second or two. But anyway, true riches, much of it, someone, not someone else's property, but our own property is what is promised. And if you really get your head around this, this is mind-blowing. And uh, there's a tribe in southwest Mexico called the Mazatec Indians. And there was a missionary working with the Mazatec Indians, and they discovered a number of things about this, about these people. Firstly, they seldom wish anyone well. So they don't go around saying, have a great day, you know, good morning to you, or, you know, buenos dias, mi amigo, or whatever they do. Okay? They seldom do that. Secondly, they're hesitant to teach one another. Um, so if you, uh, village baker, for example, you say, that's amazing bread you bake. How did you learn to bake such amazing bread? He'll just say, um, oh, I just know. Okay? I, I just taught myself. I've, I've come to know it myself. I've acquired the knowledge myself. And this really odd behavior comes from their concept of limited goods. Okay? This scarcity mentality. They believe there is only so much good in the world. There is only so much knowledge and there is only so much love to go around. And therefore, to teach one another, if I teach you, then I'm draining myself of knowledge by giving my knowledge to you. Okay? If I have a second child, I have to love my first child less in order to love the second child. That's the mentality that you have. So to wish someone well, have a good day, means that you've just given away some of your own happiness and you can't get it back. How bizarre. How bizarre is that? And yet my suspicion is that's how God looks at us. When it comes to money, it goes, how bizarre that you think you've got to hold on to it rather than give it away, give away the goods in that kind of way. And uh, if I give it away, I lose it forever. Rather than in God's kingdom, if I give it away, it multiplies and becomes true riches in heaven. And um, that materialism in our lives blinds us, just like the Mazatec Indians seem to be blind to the blessing of wishing someone well in their lives.
Now I want to look at another tribe. And uh, this tribe uh, are from northern Greece. And they've got a radically different way of thinking. And this tribe is the early Macedonian church. And they've been transformed by the grace of God. And another missionary, Paul, goes to them and discovers this about them. Because they've got the generosity mentality. Because they want to model their lives on the generosity of God who has graciously given them everything, forgiven them even while they were still his enemies. And so in the reading that we looked at, we begin to see this in uh, 2 Corinthians 8. And in verse 2 it says this, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Okay, their generosity had nothing to do with life going well for them. Okay, they were generous despite a very severe trial. And I've done a bit of study on this, and apparently there's, there's trials, there's severe trials, and there's very severe trials. And this was one of the third ones. This was the very severe trial that they were going through. And yet they still have this generosity that wells up. The second thing that we see here is that even in their extreme poverty, it wells up into rich generosity. Their, their generosity had got nothing to do with them having plenty. It wasn't just some spare stuff they had lying around. Okay? It, was, it, was, it was a very really out of what they didn't have. And uh, there's a story of uh, a Sunday school teacher who'd well, well, she thought she'd well trained her kids on, uh, on giving. And uh, she told them all about the mysteries of the world that needed their money. And so one day she throws out to them and she says, you know, if we had a million pounds, guys, would we give it to the missionaries? And they all shout, yeah, we'd give it to the missionaries. And she said, what about a thousand pounds? Do you think if we, had a, if we could raise a thousand, but we'd give it to them? Yes, we'd give it to the missionaries. What about a hundred? And they said, well, yeah, of course, a hundred. Yeah, of course we would. So what about a pound? And uh, a lot of them said yes, and one of them doesn't. One of them says, just goes quiet, puts his hand on his pocket. And she says, what, you know, you suddenly lost some enthusiasm. What, what's happened, Johnny? And he says, well, I've got a pound. Okay, suddenly reality check. <laughs> this is, this, I've actually got to give something that's in my own pocket here. Um, and yet out of their poverty, they were generous. It welled up. The third thing that we see in this is that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. They really have got this mentality of this is only a bean. <laughs> you might as well have it. Okay, their grace-giving has got nothing to do with what they thought they could afford. You know, this tribe that Paul lifts up are a completely different breed altogether. This is, this is the, the grace tribe, if you like, the generous tribe. And then verse 4, we see this. It says, they entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. You know, this would have made a great Monty Python sketch. You know, there's, there's a slight absurdity to this. There's a surrealness to this of they've got absolutely nothing and they're doing everything they can to contribute and to give uh, into the needs uh, of others in all of that. Their generosity had nothing to do with being coerced. They just counted it as a privilege. Their overflowing joy welled up in rich generosity. And deep down, do, do we not want something of that in our hearts? Would we not want to be marked in some way like that. For God's grace to solve martyrs, that we want to be that generous and to have that heart. And uh, the Macedonians absolutely had it. The Corinthians that Paul's writing to, they were so-so, which is why he's, he's lifting up the Macedonians as an example. The Mazatec Indians, they really haven't got this at all in a whole range of areas of life. 
Verse 7, just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now for many of us, giving, we can be generous in our giving, but it can become routine. Um, We can lose the adventure of it. We can lose the faith of it. Um, There are times in our lives when God's grace flows uh, through us to others, and there are times when God's grace flows from others to us, and we we receive in those things. There are different times of our lives, different abilities that often we have to be able to give in different situations. But this is just one couple's uh, journey and story um, for a few minutes, and then we'll say a few more things. And uh, it is about having a completely different paradigm shift. Um, It's about... uh, resulting in a new generosity uh, in our lives, modelled by the Macedonian church. And Paul gives some really helpful guidelines through the rest of this chapter, chapter 8, chapter 9, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He's got so much to say on what does New Testament giving look like um, for people, such as you know, giving regularly. You know, every, every week, he says, you know, every month, whatever our, our pattern is, but to be regularly thinking about it. You know, giving according to our ability. You know, what percentage uh, are we giving? Are we giving proportionally? And as that increases, increasing that uh, when we have the ability to do that. You know, the principle of sacrificial giving um, that we've just seen, intentional giving, not giving out of guilt, okay, never giving out of guilt, but deciding in advance what we're going to give to and how we're going to give intentionally. Voluntary giving, cheerful giving, as Michelle read earlier, you know, it comes out of that heart of of joy. We see the needs and we give, faith-filled giving. So much in these verses if you really want to grasp and, and, uh, and look at all of that. And so we have this new perspective, we have this new generosity, but also thirdly, there is a new currency that he talks about. Because uh, part of this paradigm shift is the old currency is worldly wealth, but there's a new currency which is true riches, um, verse 12. And uh, that's what we can work with. So what is this new currency? Because Jesus said, in, again in Luke 16, he said, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone or when it fails or when you die, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. And those who welcome us in heaven are those people that we have put our time into, that we've put our money into, that they've got there because they've they've understood the gospel, they've they've read something, they've heard something, some way that we've invested in all of that. Um, And therefore we can use worldly wealth to spread the gospel. We can use our money to support the ministry of the church. We can use our money to bless others and to open them up to the love of God. As Matthew 6, 19 says, you know, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth uh, eat and rust rot, but um, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven because that's eternal treasure, that's, that's true riches. And ultimately, we are not defined by how much we have on this earth. We're defined by how much we have in the kingdom of heaven. And uh, just let me finish with this, but there was once a, a farmer, and he grew award-winning corn, um, great ears of corn, and every year he'd win the rosette, rosette at, the, at the agricultural show that he used to turn up at. And uh, it just seemed to be every, every year. And uh, one year a newspaper interviewed him on his strategy for growing this amazing winning corn. What was it? Well, it turns out that the farmer shared his seed with his neighbours. And he said, really? That seems a, a little bit counterintuitive. How can you afford to share your best corn seeds with your neighbouring farms? Well, he said, don't you know? He said, the, the wind and the insects pick up the pollen and, from the ripening corn and they spread it across all the fields around from field to field. And if my neighbours grow inferior corn, 
cross-pollination will steadily decline the quality of my corn. So if I'm to grow good corn, I must help my neighbours grow good corn. And so he gave it away. And he passed it on in all of that. Let's pray. Maybe the bands could come up. Let's bring our hearts before God. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Father, we bring our lives before you and we, we ask, Lord, that you would, you would give us, help us have this paradigm shift, that we'll be able to see money as you see money, and see worldly wealth as you see it. Lord, we pray that you would reboot our thinking on it, that you would mark us, mark me, Lord, with your grace. Grow the gift of generosity in my life. Father, we pray you break the power of materialism that is upon us. We pray that you would lift the veil that blinds us to your perspective. Father, we, we ask and give you permission this morning to begin to unearth that scarcity mentality that we live with and we live by. Open our eyes this week, Lord. Help us to see somewhere, someone where we can express generosity. Yes for them, but more so for us. So that we can be free, that, that like that Sunday school boy, we can unglue our hand from our pocket to give that pound, to make that difference. Lord, we know that you're a God who, who uses words like lavish, generous, everlasting flow of river of life. Lord, we pray that you would mark us with that. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to continue to worship, and uh, if you want someone to stand with you, pray with you this morning, we'll have a team over to my right. Um, if money's a real struggle, debt or whatever, then again, want to talk about it. Or if you just want someone to pray to, to break something in your heart and to, to move you forwards in this, then people would love to do that. Let's uh, continue to worship now.